This is a very strange and frustrating story. To have your family member stolen, murdered, then missing. I'm Connie Walker, and this is Missing and Murdered, Finding Cleo. It's such a mystery, such an impossible task. Please, help us find her. Finding Cleo. If you'd like to hear more, you can find the full season wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Roger and Suzanne Sevigny have been foster parents in Nova Scotia for more than 50 years. They estimate that they have fostered more than 200 kids. If we had not been foster parents, I think our life would be very boring. We really, really, really need more foster families. There just aren't enough placements. Children need to be loved. I believe if we can give, we should. Everybody deserves a chance to develop to their full potential. That's from a video released a few years ago by the Nova Scotia government. That province still needs foster parents, and according to Foster Care Nova Scotia, there are currently more children who need help than there are foster parents. This is true in other parts of the country as well. Social workers in Montreal also say they're running out of homes for foster kids. But as you can imagine, being a caregiver is a hard pitch. Mary Beth Mullenkamp is the CEO of the Peel Children's Aid Society in Ontario. Good morning. Good morning, Matt. What sort of shortage are, uh, is Peel facing when it comes to foster parents? Yeah, so while the number of children in care has remained consistently low, specifically in Peel region and across the province, we're seeing an increase in the percentage of children and youth with significant complex needs, whether that be a child or youth with mental health, developmental delay, or behavioral challenges. Our existing internal foster care resources is reaching its limit, and we are continuously looking for new foster caregivers to come help and support children and youth who can better help us meet the Mm. needs of these children um, and also avoid us from looking at external foster care um, as an option. Can you go back to something that you said right off the top, which is that there are fewer children in care, but a greater Mm -hmm. need. Why, Why are there fewer children in care? Is that because... Because kids are being kept within family? Absolutely. There's a commitment across the child welfare system in Ontario to make sure that children and youth stay at home with families in their communities. We know that children and youth do better. In Peel Region, for example, we're a population of 1.5 million. We see close to 10 to 11,000 referrals per year. And we have less than 150 children in care. That's because of early intervention supports, um, better partnerships with community providers, um, and social infrastructure and programs that help us to make sure that children and youth can remain with their families. That's a good news story in some ways. Absolutely. Um, but as you mentioned, there is a shortage of foster parents. Why is that yes. the case? What's going on? Why aren't, why aren't there are enough right now foster parents? I think there's a number of factors, I think, in terms of, you know, why we may see this shortage. One is the aging population of our foster caregivers. We have foster caregivers who are retiring and not enough um, new caregivers who are who are stepping forward. I also think that sometimes caregivers have some questions about what the support may look like for a foster caregiver, um, different notions about what someone thinks a foster caregiver should look like. You don't necessarily need to have a two-parent family, um, and it may be preventing some people from stepping forward. And I think we're also seeing a concern in relation to cost of living um, increases 
foster caregivers do need to be able to provide for their families and their own children. Children's Aid Societies do provide per diem supports um, and supports for a child's um, complexities. But when we see increases in interest rates, when we see increases, you know, or, or different challenges around food insecurity, sometimes caregivers are making that question around or asking that question as to whether or not that they can open their home and really provide those supports for a child or youth in need. What are you hearing from potential foster parents about why they aren't stepping forward? I mean, it's a huge decision to do this. You ha- you are living outside of your own needs in some ways and bringing, literally bringing somebody else into your family um, because it, it's something that they need and it's the right thing to do. But what, what what's the resistance? Is it about those factors that, that you mentioned? Or is there something else that's going on generationally, perhaps, that is is not leading people to take that step? Yeah, I think that's always a possibility that there may be, um, you know, different sort of generational views around, you know, the impact that fostering can have. I also think that when we're looking at, as I said, the cost of living or we're looking at even demystifying what it looks like to be a foster caregiver and the supports that are in place. You know, we have robust training programs, supports with social workers, supports with child and, child and youth workers who can come and help support a caregiver. And we work with community partners to make sure that they have those needs available and that they're met, but it's really about getting the message out um, and engaging with our community to first understand the need and let them know that there are supports available to um, to help them. Let's just talk a bit more about the need. Um, Peel launched this recruitment campaign and it said mm-hmm. that foster parents are urgently needed. So Absolutely. speak to the urgency of this. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I shared is that we we believe that children should be placed in family-based settings. And so we always try first to look for kinship caregivers. So aunts, uncles, grandparents, people who know the child and can stay connected. But when we don't have that available, then we look to our community for support. It's important for us that our foster caregivers are also reflective of our community. So not only are we looking for foster caregivers who have specialized um, skills and training, whether that be nursing skills or whether that be supports working with young people who may have had mental health challenges, we are in one of the most diverse regions in Canada. And we want to make sure that our foster caregivers are reflective of our community. Are you, are you, are you finding that, that those diverse communities are stepping up, that, they're, that they see the, the, the need here and that they see the responsibility uh, as something that they can, they can shoulder? Yes, they do see the need. Um, I think sometimes it's also, though, about education and understanding what we may specifically be looking for. Mm. We also know that Peel Region has um, a high newcomer population, and sometimes newcomers are trying to just settle and, and connect into the community. And so we're really trying to do that outreach so they understand that because of, again, the diversity. We want to make sure that we're connecting the child that with a caregiver that meets their race, ethnicity, culture, um, sexual orientation, and gender identity. That's really important for a child to feel connected to a family and to feel um, supported, especially in one of the most vulnerable times in their lives. And so facing this urgent need, where do you place children for whom you don't have a foster home? So Children's Aid Societies always have to find a placement for a child or youth. When we've determined that a child is at risk, we need to make sure that they're best supported. So we are looking um, at our internal homes, and if not, we're looking for external foster placements. What, what, is, that, what are, does that mean, external foster placements? 
So an external foster placement may be from a private operator who is providing foster homes or group care settings, um, and we look at what's in the best interest of that child based on that setting. The challenge for us is those sometimes are outside of our region, um, and we really want to keep children as close to their communities as possible because we know that facilitates better connections with family, better connections with community, and helps to facilitate reunification. What are you most concerned about? If this shortage continues? I'm most concerned that we won't have the right placements for children and youth at the right time. And, you know, we really want to make sure that we're doing this proactively. That's why we are doing this campaign to call out to our community. Um, these challenges are not are not just for Peel. We're seeing this across the province as well. So we're asking for caregivers in our community um, to connect with us and have a conversation about how they might be able to support, but even if they're outside of Peel, to connect with their local children's aid society because the need exists across Ontario. So in the last 90 seconds that we have, make the pitch for people. I would say if you are a caregiver in Peel, if you can give back, community caring for community is really important for our children and youth. And it's a wonderful, rewarding experience. And we really hope that you'll have a conversation with us and hear about all the supports and uh, resources that might be available to and, you. And for people who think that it's too much, to, to your point, life is expensive, life is complicated and busy. And people are just, many people are just keeping their heads above water or trying to keep their heads above water. What would you mm -hmm. say to them? I would say that, you know, as Children's Aid Societies, we are doing everything possible to make sure that we are financially meeting the needs of our caregivers and our children and youth, and um, that we are flexible in terms of providing those supports. And anything that we can do to kind of demystify some of those notions or provide that support, we're committed to providing the best possible care for children and youth. Mary Beth Mullenkamp, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Mary Beth Mullenkamp is the CEO of the Peel Children's Aid Society in Ontario. The drama. They're having to be separated. They've both been shown the red card. The entertainment. And the superstar. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. I'm Mark Chapman, and every week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. They have this dynamism and this quality that they can play anywhere. They need to prove themselves in scoring more and more and more goals. I think if they don't win the title this year, the season is a failure in the league. Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Kevin Harris and his wife, Lori Lee, have been foster parents for the past 25 years. He is president of the Canadian Foster Family Association, and he and Lori Lee also run training programs for new foster parents across Saskatchewan. We've reached him on Treaty 4 territory east of Regina. Kevin, good morning to you. Good morning. 25 years ago, why did you decide that you wanted to become a foster parent? What was it that, that, that urged you to take that step forward? It was primarily, um, we became aware of the need. Um, we were in a situation with our own children that were uh, getting older and um, we were made aware of, a, of, of a situations where kids needed, needed places to be and needed a safe place, a safe home uh, to be loved and cared for for the period of time that their families were, were struggling. And so um, we, we signed up and volunteered. We actually were thinking about adoption and then we were told about foster care and we thought this is something that we can do as a family. You could see that need, but taking the step, actually doing something is, is another level. Um, and I just wonder, 
what was it that, that, that led you not just to acknowledge that there's a need that's there, but to say, you know, we could do something about this and it, this, this is going to change our lives and it, there could be a cost to it and what have you, but that we feel like we could do something like that. We really believe in children. Um, kids are worth it. Um, and it became a passion for us to do whatever we could do to, to help a family that was in crisis because that's what we need to do. It just became common sense for us from that point of view. Mm. How did it change your household? I mean, it's a, you could have a very busy household with, with, with new additions. What was it like? It was awesome. Um, you know, our kids uh, really took to it. Um, we've been uh, privileged to have long-term relationships with our children. And um, it became, yeah, it became part of our norm. And uh, our, ch- our older children um, participated in it and we're just i mean it was uh it was really great mm-hmm. it was an experience that uh, our kids have taken forward as well and, and you know as they're beginning to build their own families um who knows what they will do next we heard about what's happening in peel region as you understand it as president of the canadian foster family association how serious are shortages across this country for foster families i think there there may not be in the crisis mode as as we heard earlier but there's always a need um, right across the, the province, all territories and provinces. Uh, we're always recruiting because the need is always going to be there. And so we can't predict the number of families that need that support. And so there is an ongoing recruitment effort in, in every region uh, of this country. Um, and the need is great. There's no doubt, no doubt about it. You know, whether people are retiring or, or moving to different areas, um, that need is always going to be there as long as families struggle. We know that there has also been criticism of children's aid societies, for example, and the the process, which has changed, as, as Mary Beth said, of, of removing uh, children from families and, and putting them in care. And that has led to stories about foster care in the news that aren't particularly good stories. How much of that do you think has been in a factor in terms of a turnoff for potential foster parents? I think that is probably a part of it, but I think the stories, the positive stories that are coming out uh, of the one that you just played earlier t- today um, is, you know, is starting to change that perspective. And, and that's really what it's all about is people understanding the, the truth behind it and the types of, of training that's available uh, and part of becoming a foster parent is like none other. Um, and so we do get very qualified individuals that really, you know, have the heart, but also have the experience and the knowledge to to help these kids through their tough times. Let me ask you about the training in a moment. But one of the things we know in this country is that there are groups that are vastly overrepresented within the foster care mm-hmm. system, particularly Indigenous children. And the criticism, as I mentioned earlier, is that, Indigenous children are being taken from families, from their cultures, and put into cultures that that are very, very different, that they may not feel comfortable in, that they may not recognize, what have you. How well has the, the foster system done um, to, to respond to that criticism, do you think? Well, that, you know, and you're right, there is an over-representation within the child welfare of Indigenous children, especially in some of the problems, Saskatchewan and Manitoba, for sure. Yeah. Uh, we know that for sure. Um, part of that is recruiting uh, Indigenous families um, to participate and to to uh, be able to care for children back in their community. We recognize and understand that 
the best the best scenario is for a child to be in their community, in their culture, in in you know where where their extended family. And so when that is not possible, then then we all get called to, to do that. My wife and I are non-Indigenous, and we've been privileged to have two Indigenous children in our home, and they have been a blessing to us. And I think a big part of that is understanding of what we need to do differently to reflect their culture and help them make that connection to family, make that connection to where they come from, and to be proud of being an Indigenous person. Do you mind if I ask you about that? What did you need to do differently when you had Indigenous children in your home? We needed to bring them to their communities. We needed to find their extended family. Um, and connect them with them and have them become part of our world and for us to become part of their world. And so part of that is to be educated and learn and understand um, what residential school did um, and the effects of that and of uh, the other pieces that make the Indigenous culture so rich and so beautiful. And it is to connect them to that through culture camps, taking them to powwows, taking them to their world that uh, is reflective of who they are. Is that part of the training that potential foster parents get in terms of understanding past trauma, but also figuring out the role that they play in, in, in addressing that and helping young people connect with, with, with their own culture, with who they are? It is a big part of the training. Um, every province and territory has a little bit of different uh, training um, things that they do, but each one of them does talk about their cult, the culture of the children and connecting them back to that. In Saskatchewan, we have mandatory cultural training uh, that is taught by Indigenous leaders to help us understand the culture and the uniqueness of it and, and start bridging those gaps so to, to make us feel more comfortable to be part of, of taking children into that those communities. Can I ask you about funding? I mean, one of the things that Mary Beth acknowledged is that life is expensive. And that it, it's an additional, it, it's, you know, a, a gift to, to the foster families and a huge service to the community and to those foster kids, but it's expensive and it can be an additional outlay. Um, there are provinces that have increased the stipends that foster parents get, but how much of a difference would it make, especially now, if, if there was more money that was available to attract people to this role? Yeah, I think, I think it would help. Um, most people that when we interact with them coming into foster care, doing, becoming foster parents, the, the cost of it is never is a conversation. Uh, it's more... It's never, it's never a conversation. Not, not one of the primary factors that they come and saying, I, I, I'm doing this because we're going to get paid for it or that I'm not going to do this because I'm not going to get enough. Hmm. The, the, the finances become a, a secondary. It's more about I want to help and do what I can. But you're right. I mean, the cost of living is crazy right now, right? And so most of the provinces and territories do provide a level of, of, of funding. Um, is it enough? Probably not. But again, as I said, most people that we are in contact with, the, the funding is important, but it's not one of the decision points um, that we have found anyways. What's the biggest misconception that people have about being a foster parent? I don't think I can ever attach to a child knowing that they're going to be taken away. And that, and that is, that is the, the big thing that we try to help them understand is that if you don't attach to those children, if they, you, if they don't bond with you, then you're not helping our children heal. 
and the healing and relationships is extremely important. And so that's the biggest misconception is that I don't think I can do this because I, I don't want my heart to be broken. Um, that comes with the territory mm. and that comes with um, expectation that if my heart's broken, but I can, if I can heal a child's heart, then that's worth it. You've done this for 25 years. And so in the last minute that we have, how has this changed you and how has it changed your life? It's a selfless task in some ways. Like you, you, there's a real generosity at the heart of this. The rewards of being, seeing uh, children um, grow and mature and become healthy and to see them going on and helping others um, makes, makes it all worth it. It's just, uh, it's, it's part of, you know, if, if we don't do this, our society is going to be broken, mm. bottom line. Um, and there's, um, children are our future. And so investing in them in whatever way possible, uh, will have dividends without a question. Thanks for doing this. Um, but also thanks for talking to us about the work that you've done. Kevin, thank you. My pleasure. Kevin Harris, president of the Canadian Foster Family Association, also chair of the board for the Saskatchewan Foster Families. If you are a foster parent or you have lived in a foster home, we'd love to hear your experience in the face of, as I say, a shortage of foster families. You can email us the current at cbc.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.